you know, I really, really, I'm invested in my clients. They're not just people who pay me uh, some kind of money to do their social media. I care about their business. I know their fa- financial situation. Yeah, I like to have all the data before making a decision. That's the person I am. I like to, I like to know all the variables that can affect the decision before I make the decision. The less the, the less variables I have, the more un- uncertain and unwilling I am to make that decision. Um, and I think this is the first time I'm saying this in public, and it's being announced on your podcast. Hey, let's go. Yeah. So. Local BH um, decided to acquire a stake in Carolina Mir. And they said, you know what? We've always wanted a creative agency. We've wanted to move into the digital space. You have all the skills. You have the talent. Welcome everybody to a new episode of Picking Brains with your host, JJ Swar. That's me. I still have no opener. Um, but today it's, it's an exciting day. I have my good friend, Hamza Farooq. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey everyone. Um, I'm Hamza Farooq, founder and CEO of creative agency, Carolina Mir. Um, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> there you go. All right. So today we're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff, but... First of all, I just want to talk about how we met before we get into that. I actually don't remember. Yeah, you told me. I have me no clue. That's good because I remember clearly. So it was around four or five years ago. We used to go to the same gym, Oxygen Gym. Right, yeah. That's in Sar yeah. area. Yeah. And I used to see him there all the time working out, like them to do the jacked. Um, and I was like a skinny, fat little boy. <laughs> um, but my brother knew you somehow. Um, um, yeah, I did know your brother cause he was quite regular at the gym and he had sort of, he had his own crew. He had his entourage. Yeah. So like three, four of them, I think it was your brother. It was peach and Peach. this other guy. Yeah. I forgot their names. Maybe Omar. I don't know. I forgot their name. Sorry. I don't remember. I don't remember everyone's name, but your brother was always nice. And he always said hi to me. And you know nice. what it is like with gym bros, like you're around the same age and you're working out and you always pass by and be like, ah, oh. Yeah, it's like you appreciate each other. You appreciate yeah. each other. You give each other the nod or you go like, oh, you're looking good, bro. I mean, yeah. <laughs> gym yeah. culture, right? So that's that's how I actually met your brother. Yeah, at the, at the time I was very shy. Like I always kept to myself during the gym because I was still new-ish to working out. So it was very intimidating. I mean, I've been working out, you know, a little bit before then, but weightlifting was very new to me. Um, so I saw you, you're always at the... Uh, doing compound lifts and doing it at the rack the one rack we had at the gym before they included the other racks in, in the second floor. I used to be upstairs all the time. I don't know if that's when we met or if they had the upstairs area. No, at they the time. didn't. They, they didn't. didn't. So that's why you, that's why you were using the rack downstairs. Right. Right. Next to the bench okay. press area. So yeah, I saw him there. I'm like, this guy's always doing like squats or deadlifts or something like that. And these compound movements I've never learned except the bench press. And so, um, I told my brother something like, oh, this guy, like, I want to learn from him. Like, he seems like he knows Oh, stuff. it's starting to come back a bit. <laughs> yeah. And so then my brother introduced us. Right. And then one of the first things I mentioned is that I do videography. Okay. And so we that's kind of how we bonded um, because you were asking me, oh, like, what kind of videos do you do, et cetera. We were, like, making small talk, but we were still, like... Um, I was talking about also, like, not knowing how to do these lifts. And you were like, next time we meet up, let's work out together and I'll teach you. And that's what happened. So I, you taught me how to deadlift. And I remember. I, I feel I, this is coming back to me. I feel like 
that's what happened and we had a session and i was showing you how to deadlift and i was giving you tips and cues and yeah yeah i remember that the second time we ever deadlifted you were doing or either i or you were doing a live stream on your or on your instagram it was probably not me it was me it was me <laughs> i remember now it was me and you were teaching me still and then i did like you were impressed I, you did, you definitely took a picture um because I know back then you had aspirations to do your company or some sort of athletics kind of company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so you were you wanted me to be your first client. I remember that. Ooh. And then you took so the first, second session I was doing like what three bars on each side. I don't know the weight for that. I think you hit some kind of crazy weight on your first session first or second session. session. Yeah, first or second. And I was just hyping you up, and I was like, Jebber, you can do this, yeah, man. You You're strong as hell. And now I hate deadlifts. <laughs> 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 but uh, no, so that's how we first met. Um, and then, yeah, so we were training together every now and then. And then you mentioned out of nowhere that you have an opportunity, um, for me to work on a certain video or a project. I remember that project very well. Yeah. I remember it too. Yeah. Um, and you had like a week to do it and you asked me like if I could help. And so basically he got me an internship to a marketing agency. Is it okay if we name them or not? Um, yeah, it should be fine. Yeah. So from six communications, shout out to them. Um, so I got like a small internship there and I ended up doing the video and finishing it on time and all that stuff. And then, um, we started working together. Yeah. No, not really like together, together. Like I think we had one or two shoots together where we, uh, we went out, but, um, yeah. So that was my first ever work experience I've ever had. How old were you at the time? This was, I think in 2017. Um, so what, three, four, so I was like 19, 20, maybe 18. Oh, so you had just started university. That was probably your first year back or was it before you left? second year. So I was probably 19 or close to being 19. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then we did that. I thought it was a good experience. And then when I came back, we reconnected. Um, but this was a couple of years later. Like it wasn't immediately the next year, was it? Yeah. I think it was, you were right about a graduate. You had one year left. Yes, I think so. Um, the timelines are getting messed up in my head because yes, the second year I came, came back, I had another internship at another place and the third year, um, I think it had one year left. So the summer of that, um, you helped me land another internship. Mm -hmm. Um, this guy just, you know, he got me started up this guy right here, um, with internships. So I appreciate that. But so yeah, and the sex company is miracle graphics. Yeah. Um, at that time, so first, let's talk about From Six. I, I was never paid, and that's fine. It's an internship, right? You don't expect, expect to be paid. Now, I, I just wanted the work experience, and I wanted wanted the experience of my CV. Mm -hmm. So Miracle Graphics, um, at this point, I was like, maybe I should you know, try to get paid. Even if I get like 100 per month, I'm fine with that. I didn't know if it's low or high for an internship. Yeah, um, Internships, I think, usually are 100 BD. So I was like, I'll just do 100 BD. And so <laughs> I remember this, <laughs> I come into the office and I'm, I'm going to meet with the general uh, manager. Yeah. The oh, general manager. General manager. Yeah. 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 So we, we, we're meeting and you know, Hamza, he's working there already. And what, what was your title then? So I was a digital marketing manager. I basically ran the digital department, whether it was social media or anything along those lines, I was running that department. Yeah. So he was there. So, he, you know, he already obviously is working under the manager, general manager, general manager. I can't even talk. Um, and so he calls me up the, the manager and Hamza's there with me. So he wants to vouch for me. 
um, oh, no, the first meeting was one-on-one. I showed him my work, my videos, my portfolio. He was impressed, et cetera. And then, then we want to talk about pay and what, what to expect. And that's when he brought two of us. And so, all right, so what do you, how much do you expect or how much do you want? Right. He asked me, I'm like, mm, like at, at, at this point, Hamza is like putting his fingers. So the desk is covering his fingers, right? So he's he's hinting at me to say a certain number. So he has his, for the people who are listening, because not everybody's going to watch a podcast, right? So he's having his three fingers pointing down. Um, so his index, middle, and ring finger pointing down. So basically hinting like ask for 300, something like that, or 400. Um, I didn't see that. <laughs> I didn't see that. I, I, I would usually be a guy who would pick up on these things, but I didn't see it. Um because I was I was maintaining uh, eye contact with him, so it was hard to look down on, on my left. So I said um, 100, 150, and then and then I went and and then you had a talk with him. <laughs> Hamza comes down, all right, and he says, "I got you 500 BD." I'm like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> How did you do that?" You were the highest paid intern at oh my any God. company in Bahrain at I the was time. The, Dude, this was basically a part-time job. Well, it wasn't a part-time job. You know the yeah. starting salary for someone who's graduated. It used to be 400 back then. Now it's 450. Yeah. And you were making 500 as an intern. Yeah. Who didn't even work full-time? You work yeah. like two hours a day. Yeah. But here's the thing. In my two hours, I got a lot done. So he, I want to talk about that too, but I don't want to like, you know, dominate the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. So to keep it short, my tactic was they have like these corporate video shoes that are easy to do. I mean, for me, they were a piece of cake. But they wouldn't know, not you, but like Kuldeep or whoever, um, the general manager, um, they wouldn't know how long the, the video would take. So they would give me like a week, which realistically would take, take me an hour to finish. So what I would do is, you know, I would, I would pretend like I'm working. I finished the entire edit. I might help here and there with some chores. But I finished the main project edit and I would just, I don't know, learn new, new skills at work or watch Netflix. But usually I would like try to learn new things. And so I would deliver on the, the deadline. The next time I would deliver like a day beforehand. So people would, he could be like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm impressed that you're progressing and you're bringing it faster. The next time I would do it two days beforehand or three days beforehand until I finished the internship and we, we all had a good experience. So that's why I consider like a part-time job. Um, work smart, not hard. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was basically... A crazy experience because with that money, all of it, I invested in my current computer setup. So I right. did an amazing setup, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, um, that that was our experience. But we also want to talk. We want to talk about the overall creative agency scene in Bahrain, marketing, creative agency, whatever you want to call them. Um, and your your work experience overall before going into your new venture, you can talk mm-hmm. about it right now and go ahead. So, yeah, I, I think my career's had a lot of ups and downs. I've worked in a lot of different fields, a lot of different industries. Um, <clears throat> so when I first graduated, which is back in 2013, um, I was living in India at the time. I had an amazing hippie phase for a couple of years. You show, you show me pictures. I, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I, at, when, when I was younger, when I was 18, like my goal in life was to be a musician or a drummer and oh, yeah. form a band, put out an album, go on tour. Like I really wanted to live that life. I wanted to be an artist or a musician or or something along those lines, Mm -hmm. you know, like I I needed creativity in my life, no matter what way it came in. Like at one point I wanted 
do animations or I want to do video production, still things that I'm very passionate about. I still do in my free time. I wanted to be a musician. Um, I loved writing. So I considered being a writer or a giant, giant, journalist, <laughs> journalist, <laughs> journalist, yeah. journalist. Yeah. So I was very intrigued by all of that stuff. None of the stuff in school really like it, it. I didn't feel like a smart kid in school because everything was based on memorizing history and doing math and, I guess school systems now have changed, but I didn't feel like a smart kid back in school. I mm. like no one ever told me I had potential. My teachers always told me that I would fail in life. Like this isn't some cliche. I was told by multiple teachers over the years that I would go nowhere. Mm. And, um, you know, that, that you don't, you believe it. I mean, as a young kid, that that's what you think life is like. You have to get really high grades. You have to go to a really good university and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't think there was any future in just being a creative mind. Like I was like, what am I going to do with this? And so I went to uni and I experimented with a lot of different things. I played music. I played with a band. Um, I went on tour. I did a lot of the things that I wanted to do. And finally, when I graduated, it was time to get a job. And I worked at this one agency for a couple of months. But then um, my parents came knocking and they're like, your time's up. You got to come back to Bahrain. Mm. And I was like oh man, like this is ending. Yeah. So, you know, I have to go back and obviously in India, things were a lot, it's a much faster place to live. Like so many things are happening all the time from whether it's related to art or music, there's something to do every single day. The concept of a weekday or a weekend doesn't exist. Like mm -hmm. every day was something exciting and crazy. And obviously being at that age, you have a lot of energy, like you can go seven days a week, like going to a gig, performing with bands, practicing music or creating art or going to festivals or traveling. So when I came back to Bahrain, obviously I haven't been here for a couple of years. I didn't, a lot of my friends weren't here and I had to find a job. I, ha I had to do, I had to find something to do. Mm -hmm. And I had two opportunities. So I had an interview with Al Rashid Group, which is Landmark Group. Okay. But at the same time, I got linked up with Google. So I had an interview with Google and I interviewed with someone from Google in India. Then I got a call from someone in Google in Japan. Wow. Yeah, I had like three rounds of interviews with Google and it was almost done. They had an amazing package. They were willing to pay a great starting salary. Obviously, it meant that I had to move again. So mm. I had just been back to Bahrain for three months and I had this opportunity at Google. And I tried explaining it to my parents. Like I told my mom that, listen, this is Google. It could really change my life. Like mm -hmm. not everyone gets a job at Google. Of course. But then she told me that, hey, listen, for me, please go and do this interview at Al Rashid Group. See what they have to say. I would really prefer it if you stayed here because we haven't been around you for like the last four or five years. Yeah. So I said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do that interview. And that was one of the craziest interviews of my life. So I initially met with a marketing manager. I was very, very nervous. This is probably my- How old were you here? I was 21. 21, 21 okay. yeah. So I had a job before, but it was a very casual job. Mm -hmm. It was an agency in India. It was a startup. Although I did get to work with some big brands like Adidas Originals and JBL oh, wow. um, while I was at that agency. But again, I was there only for a couple of months, like nine months, 10 months. Okay. Um, this was going to be my first corporate job if I ever took it. Mm. So, and in Bahrain as well, the first job. In and Bahrain. in Bahrain. Yeah. So when I came back to Bahrain, there were certain things that appealed to me because I, you know, I got a car and I was at home. Everything was very comfortable. Food was always on the table. Everything was close. Everything was close. <laughs> Again, a lot of the fun stuff was gone. Like there was no more gigs. There were no more concerts. There were no, no more art festivals. I couldn't yeah. travel just because I wanted to. Like there was nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. But there were other benefits to it. So 
I had this initial interview with the marketing manager. He liked me. And when I went home that day, he gave me a call. And he said, you have to meet with the CEO tomorrow. And here's what you want to say. Okay. He's going to ask you this, this, and this. And this is what I want you to say because I want to hire you. Okay. So I was like, okay, I've, I've, I've passed level one. Now I have to get through level two. And I've never met a CEO in my life. Yeah. I don't know what a CEO is. <laughs> okay. So I go the next day again. I'm nervous as hell because this interview wasn't in like a small cubicle. They're like, you're going up to the boardroom. Oh, wow. So I go upstairs. It's a massive boardroom. I'm the only person sitting on that table. And it was, it was like, you know, the marketing manager came with me and he's like, go inside there. And I was like, you're not coming. And I was like, are they going to like shoot me inside? Like you're what's going on? You're on your own, buddy. <laughs> you're on your own, man. So I sit down. The, H, the head of HR comes in. The CEO comes in. He walks in and like, uh, he's in a rush. Okay. His name is Vikas. Okay. And he sits down and he's like, listen, I've got a flight to Dubai in 10 minutes. I'm going to ask you three questions. He's like, tell me about yourself, your family and your five-year plan. The basic and, um, Yeah, questions. the basic. Yeah. But so I told him about myself, my background. Um, I told him about what my mom and dad do and blah, blah, blah. My five-year plan was, I've never thought of my five-year plan. So at this point I said some really generic stuff like, oh, I want to be independent and I want to be this and this and this. And he gave me one piece of advice and he's like, listen, Hamza, I like you. You seem like a smart kid. And here's what, here's the advice that I'm going to give you. When you think of your five-year plan, always find a way to measure it in a tangible way. Like, yes, you can say you want to be independent and uh, blah, 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 blah. But you can't really measure these things. Like these things are subjective. Mm. You may say you're independent and I may say you're not. But you can set goals for yourself that sort of help you validate whether you've made it thus far in life. And he's like, let me give you an example. When I was in my 20s, I told myself that when I get, when, when I have the money to buy my own BMW, I'll know that I've made it past a certain point in my life where I've achieved something that I wanted. Yes. And he's like, that was, you know, I can look back and be like, hey, I thought of this when I was younger and I have it now. What's next? So that that stuck with me. And I actually started doing that for myself. So I set those goals for myself. And the experience at ARG was, you know, Vikas was a great CEO. I learned so much from him because he's a person that's running this massive company. But at the same time, you would see him walking down the hallway and he would just stop and be like, hey, Hamza, how are you doing? How's mm -hmm. your day going? And I'll be like, Oh, he's, he's speaking to me. To me, yeah. And CEO, he like, yeah. he's like, come to my office. And then I would go to the office and he would keep me there for two hours. And he would talk about everything from music to art to traveling. And he would really get to know me. And I would see him doing this with everyone. And I was like, this guy is really invested in the company. He knows his employees inside out. And there would be times when we would be sitting in the pantry, we'd be having our lunch, like the smaller people. And he would come in from his big office and sit down in that small pantry and be like, what's up guys? What's happening? Tell me about your day. And I was like, he's really like not... He's not on a high horse. Like yeah. even when I would he's see him- He's down to earth. He's down to earth. Yeah. He wants to know his employees and want to motivate them. But at the same time, when I see him work, when I see him do those business dealings, I was like, this guy's got it. Like, you know, like that confidence, that way of speaking, the way of closing deals. And I was like, you know, I sort of want to be that kind of a person when I'm older. Mm -hmm. But So was, would you say he was your um, role model in terms of career? Um, I wouldn't say role model, but someone who inspired me. Okay. Someone who inspired me. At this point, I was still looking for a role model. Like I didn't know who to model myself after. Mm -hmm. I was still discovering things. Sure. But I did find him very inspirational. And I always like, um, there was this one experience at ARG where I really messed up. And I, you can say it's my fault or you can say it's not my fault. But um, because I was really good at speaking, every time they had an event, they would ask me to be the MC. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, there was a day where they needed me to be an MC at an event in the evening, 
but it was also the anniversary of Shumart and they needed me to deliver cakes to five of their branches across Bahrain. Now, being a marketing coordinator, I do everything from start to finish. This is my first job. True. So I had to order the cake. I had to get the design. I had to build the orders. I had to go pick them up. I had to go drop them to all the branches. Now I have to drop this cake to five branches and make it to city center in the evening in rush hour to do this event. Mm-hmm. And the branches are spread across. There's one in Rafa, there's one in Maharag, there's one in Manama, there's yeah. one in Sif. So I'm in a taxi going back and forth through branches. And at the same time, I have to make it a city center by evening. So I had deadlines from ev- because different people are putting different kinds of pressure on me saying, where's the cake? Where's the cake? We're supposed to do the cake cutting here. We're supposed to take pictures. And then I'm getting a- other calls saying, you're late. You have to be the MC here. To the event, yeah. And this is rush hour traffic. I got stuck. I didn't drive at the time, so I was in a taxi. And I ran to that event to do the MC thing. And when I got there, the event was over. Yeah, wow. So I, I went pale. And so we went back to the office. It was the middle of the night. It was maybe eight, nine, nine o'clock. Okay. And they said, you need to wait. He needs, he wants to speak with you. So I stayed in the office for a couple of hours. Like I stayed just pretty, waiting and just, like, just and waiting. Like, and that sucks more because you're just having all these thoughts in your head while you're waiting. You know? Yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. And so we get pulled into the office and I was like, I've never been in this situation before and I don't know how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. So I sit down. He takes a breath and he's like, look, I could fire you right now if I wanted to, but I think you need to take this opportunity to learn and become a better person and learn to better organize yourself next time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear what went wrong and how it went wrong. That's not my problem to deal with because he's high up. There's so many people below him. Like it had to be better coordinated between multiple people, but he just said, I'm giving you a second chance. Turn this thing around. And so there you see, there's, there's not only like, there's inspiration in the way that he deals with his employees or the way that he runs his business, but there's also empathy. Yeah. You know, he gave me a second chance. And again, that's another story that I'll, I have so many stories from ARG. Like I'll close off because I want to move on to how I went into agencies. Of course. Yeah. But ARG was very tough. I was handling all their international franchises like Fitness First, Steve, uh, Steve Madden, Dumont, Echo. And being a marketing coordinator in retail is pretty tough because retail, they go on sale every weekend. They have promotions, they have offers, they have events. And imagine this, um, they have like 80 brands. Now, if you go on sale, that means that right before you go on sale, you have to first of all coordinate all the artworks with all the suppliers. You have to get quotations for printing. Then you have to get permissions to put those printing things. Then you have to get in touch with the mall and fill out permits that, hey, my supplier is coming to the mall. He's going to put this stuff up. Mm-hmm. Then you have to create a checklist for the supplier that, hey, you have to go to like 60 branches today. And that's a lot. I didn't even think about that. Like Overnight, because you go on sale, you can't promote the sale ahead of time. So the night before the sale, all the billboards, everything in Bahrain needs to change. It needs to say sale the day before or mm. on the morning off. And so I would, you would have to stay up the entire night and coordinate with suppliers. Did you go here? Did you go to this billboard? Did you go to the shop? Did you put this poster? Did you put this banner? And when the sale ends, you have to make sure that on the day it ends, everything is taken off because the next day, if a customer comes to a store and it says sale anywhere, you're obligated to give that person the the sale sale price, but the system doesn't reflect that. So it registers as a loss. And let's say it's a busy day, a hundred people come in and you end up giving a hundred products at whatever, 75% off. So you have just caused like thousands of dinars of loss for that retail company. So it was, it was very- and would you be responsible for that? We would be responsible for okay. that. It, it doesn't matter if the supplier went or not. This was your client. This was your brand. You should have gotten it done. Mm-hmm. So I've had multiple nights where I would wait, 
I would stay up till 10. At 10, I would meet the supplier and then go to Oasis Mall, Riffa, Maharak, Marina Mall, City Center. I would, the pressure was so high that I didn't want to leave it up to the supplier to do this. I would be like, I'm coming with you till four and five in the morning and making sure you put it in every branch. And then I would go straight to work at eight. Like this is the kind of drive and dedication that I had. And on the day that I was leaving ARG, it was my last day at work. Um, and, and this happens from time to time. And I got into a lot of trouble for it that a supplier has to go and put up uh, branding in like 30 stores and he forgets one. And this mm. was the last day I was out. Mm. I was going home and never coming back here again. And I called the supplier and said, did you put it here, 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 here? I didn't go this night. I was like, I'm done. This is my last day at work. And he's like, yeah, I put it in all these places, but this, this store wasn't on the list. And I was like, no, it is on the list. You forgot it. And he's like, yeah, well, I forgot it. And if, if you don't put it, the mall doesn't give you permission to go in the next day again. You need to get new mall permits, which wouldn't have come in. I rushed to the mall in a taxi at five in the morning. I broke in. I literally broke into the mall. Okay. I went to the store. I looked for a janitor. I said, I, said, I need a ladder right now. I went into the store. I climbed up to the ceiling. I hung that banner that said sale. And then I went back to the office. This was my last day. I was not obligated to do it. Yeah. Well, it's good that you did it. Yeah. That's because, good. you know. Bahrain is a small country. So if they hear that you went above and beyond doing that, the boss of that company, if you ever like work for another company, they can recommend you, et cetera. You know what I mean? Nobody so. knew I did that. I okay. didn't go around and tell anyone. Yeah. I just did it for myself. Well, now, now, now they know. Well, I'm kidding. now I'm they kidding. know. <laughs> but here's the thing. After that, um, I did work at Algalia for a little while. I was managing social media for Cafe Lilu, Monsoon, Zoe, all of those places. Mm -hmm. But that was a very short, you know, stint. And from there, I got a really good offer to work at From Six Communications. And that's when my career in social media started off. That's where it all started. That's where it all started. But the funny thing there is you would be surrounded by so many people and so many youngsters and, and not just over there, but in general, I would meet people who had just graduated. They might have been working for a year or two mm -hmm. and they'd be like, we know more than our bosses. We should be managers. We should run this company. We deserve this. We deserve that. And all I would think to myself is I went through hell. Okay. You have no idea how hard I've worked. I've been in the office till 7am multiple times. I've gone 48 hours without sleeping. I've climbed up a ladder and hung a banner by myself. I've done so many things that caused me physical and mental stress for the sake of my career. And here you are graduated yesterday and you think you deserve something more. You think you deserve a thousand dinar salary just because. Mm. And I asked people, I was like, why do you think you deserve this? What have you done that validates this requirement? Like what kind of experience do you have? What kind of work have you done? Like if you've put in the work, then you deserve to be compensated for, but you just feel obligated to become a manager because you're entitled. I also, okay. I'll give you my opinion on this because I might disagree a little bit. Okay. Right. And that's fine. You can feel free to disagree with me. All that. Um, I, I encourage that because when you have two people, in general, this is in general. We have people that always agree with each other and one of them is lying, right? Yeah. There has to be someone um, that is like, yeah, okay, I'm just going to agree. Um, I, I agree with you on the most, for the most part I, with that sentiment, but also I think suffering is relative. For okay. instance, you have somebody maybe in China who's working 70-hour weeks yeah. and getting paid dirt cheap. And, and I am working on my butt from home. I'm making maybe a hundred times more than him. Yeah. Right. Um, he's working harder than me and maybe he deserves the money, but that's not, 
this the work you put in is relative for instance i was talking to my brother actually earlier today about the sub subjective theory of value mm -hmm. so basically you have um tennis players who are athletes world-class athletes and you have right. soccer players or football people will kill me if i say soccer football players who are also world-class athletes but when it comes to tennis it's only one-on-one -on -one. right right yeah all the pressure is on you. You're constantly playing. There's no pause. There's no passing the ball to somebody else. And you just like, you know, jog a little bit and rest. So the, in tennis, it's all the hundred percent of the effort is on you, physical and mental. When you went to, when you go to football, that, that effort is distributed to players. However, you bring out Messi, he's making probably dozen more than let's say Rafael Nadal, uh, Nadal, sorry, Nadal in, in tennis. Yeah but they're both world-class athletes. So then we could talk about, wait, so does Messi deserve the money he's getting over, over Nadal? That's a whole the different kind of worms. I'm trying, I don't, so there are definitely people who are entitled. I and mean, I think you're talking about that segment. There are people who are entitled because they, they, and they don't think, they don't know that they put, or they don't know that they haven't put that much um, uh, effort into getting what they want, right? It's not a one-to-one -one expectation. Right. But there are those who actually do deserve and they don't get, especially in that's Bahrain. That's true. That's true. 100%. Uh, so I, th I think that's why like, it's a little bit iffy. Um, so, but I'm pretty sure like I'm agreeing with you for the most part, because I know the type of pe people you're talking about, the type of people that are just, they just feel entitled because they went to some university and they got a degree. They haven't put much work. Um, and they think like, Hey, I deserve to be manager or whatever. So, but I also want to like put a, put my own opinion on this, this man. No, I meant it in the sense that, um, yes, I was a higher paid employee because I had a lot of experience. Yeah. I brought a lot to the table. I'm very proactive wherever I worked. I didn't just do what my job entailed. I always came up with newer ideas, newer suggestions. I wanted to get involved in things and, um, that was appreciated and I always got rewarded for that. But then there was always people that just sat around and didn't, you know, come in at eight, yeah. leave at five, mm -hmm. did very little. And why aren't you doing this? Because I'm not getting paid enough for it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, look, I agree that everyone deserves an opportunity and a chance to get paid more, but you have to show them that you're worth that money. What kind of, you haven't done anything different from what you were doing since day one. Yeah. And not only that, you agreed to work here. Right. You agreed for the salary and for these work hours and for the work you're doing. It's not up to you after the fact that you once you sign the contract. Oh, wait, never mind. I think I'm worth more. So therefore, I'm not going to make. Uh, uh, no, but I'm effort. saying this from the perspective of someone who has just graduated and has never worked anywhere before. You come into your career with the mindset that I deserve everything from day one. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about that. If you're someone who has put in the work and you've got the experience and you're willing to learn and do more. By all means, you should demand that increment in salary or whatever. Yes, of course. But just coming in as a graduate and then you just feel very superior because you have that kind of a personality. Yeah. Like the world hasn't give, given you its slap of reality. The world yet. hasn't given you your slap of reality. Do you know how many qualified people there are without jobs right now of who course. deserve those jobs? Of course. Who would be willing to work day and night to be in the position you have right now? You are making like, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred BD to sit and post on Instagram. Like you got to do more, bro. Like of course, there's of more to it than that. And I always say that people deserve an opportunity. They deserve more pay, but you need to, you know, you came in for a certain job and that's what you were being paid. Mm. But three years later, if you're doing the exact same thing, your skills haven't gone up. The 
contribution hasn't gone up, how do you justify that increment, right? Of course. That that I meant it in that sense. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I yeah, yeah. Hundred like I don't I don't disagree with people not getting increment. Like mm. I do feel like a lot of people in Bahrain are underpaid. Yes. They should be paid more. Yes. Um you know, it's it's not that competitive of market. It's not like Dubai. There's mm. a lot of highly qualified people here who just can't find jobs. Yeah. I, I think for me, what helped me, because you have this kind of um, g- g- general mentality with people when they say, it doesn't matter. It's your first job. Just take it. If it's 450, which is the minimum for bachelor degree holders, 450, take it. And then you see where you're going to move up from, right? Yeah. I'm like, man, I... This is going to sound cocky, but I studied abroad. I did all these things, these internships, whatever, software, you know, computer, computer science, whatever. They get paid, um, whatever, 3K BD in, in, the, in the US after tax, right? After tax right. per month to do this work. You want me to come back here and get paid a tenth of that? And so, and then people tell you, you know, even family members say, take the job. It's fine. You just have to start somewhere. And I agree in that sense, but the, I still didn't do it. Even when I first, uh, when I graduated, I had a job lined up in America and then the pandemic happened. I remember that. So I had to come back. I had opportunities to work here and there. I didn't take them. And if I did, I would, I maybe left early because I didn't like the job. Speaking of which. Yeah. Speaking of which. Yeah. We'll talk about, we'll We'll talk talk about that. We'll talk about (laughs) that. Um, so the way I think of it, I, I like to have all the data before making a decision. That's the person I am. I like to, I like to know all the variables that can affect the decision before I make the decision. The less the, the less variables I have, the more un- uncertain and unwilling I am to make that decision. Um, so, if he, if the way I thought it was like this, if I take this job as four fifty, let's let summarize, let's make it five hundred for ease of math, right? If I take the job for five hundred BD, and I work for ten months, right, I'll be making five k mm-hmm. in that 10, 10 months. But if I stay unemployed. And look for something that I feel like it's more deserving of what I worked into my degree and my internship and what I can offer. Mm-hmm. Let's say eventually I get 2K, right? Or that's, okay, that's too much. Let's say 1.2K, right? 1.2K. Um, let's say, and, and I, I took maybe five months out of that 10 months I could have worked. I took five months unemployed just searching for the job that I think is more worth. I'll be making more and I'll be recuperating the money I would have made from the other job plus more. Right. By, by taking that time off. And that's exactly what happened with me, by mm-hmm. the way, exactly what happened. I could have last year, I had a job opportunity to work here and there. And I was almost complacent. Like, you know what? That's the way the Bahrain is. Um, I have to agree that, that Bahrain is not going to pay me that much. And then, you know, and then I had, I had a job. I'm like, man, this is depressing. I cannot work here. I cannot do this for 450 for the work I'm trying to, I'm putting in. I cannot do this. I left. Um, and then I just, you know, there was a, point in my life or at that point I was like very depressed because I felt like I see my peers getting like jobs here and there Amazon Bahrain AWS Bahrain I got people working in Google friends of my Google in America I could have been one of those guys pandemic hits I'm back here I'm getting paid like 450 for this uh, this job and but I stayed I persevered I was like I'm not gonna settle for that Alhamdulillah the few months after that I got a very decent job Alhamdulillah and and people need to know their worth right so there is, uh, there's, this is my theory, all right? Let's see if you agree with it. This is my theory. My theory is people either get more than what they deserve or less than what they deserve. You never get what you deserve. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. never the case. Yeah. You cannot put a number, oh, 
there's no mathematical equation that can take your entire experience, your, your skills, your qualifications, your degrees, put them and calculate some model and be like, oh, this is exactly what this guy deserves. It's not, this is never going to happen, right? And so in Bahrain, more often than not, people get less than they deserve. That's the issue with Bahrain. But it doesn't mean that you can't find your small opportunities where I feel like I get more than I deserve. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, I still think maybe and some, there's a competitive part of my head is like, no, you're still getting less than what you did. But, but compared to behind, it's really good. Alhamdulillah. Um, and so I think that's, that's the, the, that's the matter. That's the issue with Bahrain. People get less than what they deserve. There's a lot of problems that get dealing to that. We can go into that later, but like I'll, outsourcing. I'll, I'll, like, I'll explain that to you in a bit as yeah, well, go because ahead. it's, it's part of the story. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so after from six, I moved which, to, which is the first place we were started working together. Just exactly. To, yeah. yeah. But I was, I was still pretty much a mid-level employee at From mm-hmm. 6. Mm-hmm. Um, the good thing at From 6 was that there was a lot of senior people in that company. There was account directors, brand strategy guys. There was a lot to learn from them. Like they were, they, we had some interesting conversations. They had a good work culture. I picked up on a lot of things and I was given a lot of opportunities there. Mm-hmm. I moved to Miracle um, for the money. I was given a very good package. Um, they basically never had a digital marketing department. They wanted me to come in and start that. And so now I've gone from that position where I'm working under a lot of people to being the person running the department. And so there, there wasn't anybody to learn from, but there was a lot of opportunities for me to really develop my skills and my interactions with clients. I was directly dealing with clients and I was running a lot of projects. I remember I had people underneath me, so Mm -hmm. I got to train people and, you know, so it was a good leadership role for me, but being there for a while, um, it wasn't the kind of work culture that I really enjoyed. Like yes. for me personally, as, as the kind of person that I am, I really need to be motivated by my environment, by the people who surround me, by the office that I work in, like everything. I'm, I'm, I'm a very moody person. Like, you know, I'm a Pisces. Uh, I don't, I don't believe in horoscopes, <laughs> but people like to bring that up. Um, Get out of my show. <laughs> no, but as someone who's so passionate about music and art yeah, and this yeah. and that, um, you, you care a lot about the work culture. You care about the work culture and you care about the things around you. And it's not about showcasing a culture on Instagram because that's fake, but it's actually about living that culture and bringing that to your company. And um, I guess it was a very sales driven place. Everything was about numbers and signing new clients and making more money. And it was constantly about profit and loss and this and that. And, you know, I've, I still had this deep burning desire to do something for the love of creativity. I was like, I haven't done anything that satisfies my internal need to do something that makes a difference on this planet. And so I started looking for another job after about a year and I was unsuccessful for an entire year. And I'll tell you why, based on the conversation that we just had, I went for interviews with really big companies in Bahrain, Jabir, you will not believe, like Mm -hmm. the big, big names. And I went to them and they would be like, uh, we want you to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this. And I ticked all the boxes. I was, I was qualified. I, I knew everything about digital marketing at the time. Like I knew most of what they I needed me to do. I think I remember you telling me something about this. Where you but then like when they your... would ask me, what are you making and what do you expect? And I would tell them how much I was making. And they're like, yeah, we can't give you more than that. We were expecting to pay you half of what you're already making. And I was like, how do you expect someone with so many years of experience? I've put in like my own time to pick up new skills, constantly in, evolve. I've been in retail, F&B, digital marketing, social media, content. You, 
the job description was like three pages long. Mm. I was like, you might as well put Butler in there as well. Like <laughs> besides managing your social media, I should bring whoever runs the company coffee. Yeah. Like that's how long the job description mm. was. It was literally Superman. And then they're like, oh, we were looking for someone who's a fresh grad to do it for 450. And I was like, there isn't a fresh grad on the planet that can do all of this. And if you do hire that fresh grad, more likely than not, he's going to fail or he or she are going to fail. At that. Probably. And I was like, you're looking for a very senior position, but you want to pay a fresh grad salary. What I'm asking for is on par with what everyone else is making. It's reasonable. It's reasonable because there are people in certain companies who are of a specific ethnicity. I don't want to go in that direction. Yeah, of course. No, you can, dude. I mean, if you don't want to for the sake of whatever, but I, I'm look, saying... I, I, I don't like to go in that. I don't like to talk yeah, about yeah. those things, but I know someone who would make two or three K yeah. for doing the same job role at when I was younger and getting... Um, I was getting like seven, 800 mm. and they're making 3k and it was because of where they were from. Of course. And I don't want to say where or who or I who understand. their employer was, yeah. but that is the reality of our market. Um, it's changing now with all the Bahrainization and everything. It's changing now. There mm. are still problems in the job hiring process in this country. Of course. A lot of the jobs that I applied for, I didn't get in because. Wasta. Don't, don't have it. Other yeah. People, you know, yeah. 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 We come from a background of very hardworking people. No Wasta there. Or it was like, well, you make too much already. We can't pay you anymore. And that's when it got to the point where I started getting really depressed. Like COVID hit and there was even more pressure at work that we don't have any money and you need to put in more work. You need to come in on weekends. You have to do what you can to make this company a success. And I started thinking to myself, like I was watching a lot of videos of Gary Vee and stuff. Oh yeah. yeah <laughs> I follow right? him too, man. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, Shout okay, you know, I can put in more effort and I can put in more work and I'm being asked to do this for the sake of the company, but I won't be like, like I said, if I'm motivated, if there's an incentive for me to work harder and generate more business because I'm getting a commission or I'm getting a raise, I'll do it. I'll go for it. But this is just for them to keep that company alive. And I was like, well, it's not my company, mm. right? I, I can't be that heavily invested in it or, you know, invested in its success, I could put in that same kind of effort and create something for myself. So I've all, I was already upset with the work culture and environment and um, COVID didn't make things easier because there was a lot of pressure and things were just like, I wasn't happy. And I remember I said this on another interview when I was on Bahrain TV, mm -hmm. I thought to myself that, hey, I've gone from one job to another. I've worked in corporate, I've worked in agencies. You always think the grass is greener on the other side, but then each side has its pros and cons. And you just can't find what you want. And then I started to think to myself, like, am I living in a fictitious world where what you want isn't real? And I was like, no, you know what? If it doesn't exist, make it. Yeah. Make it. I'm going to create it. And so this is the perfect segue to how Hamza yeah, founded ha Carolina Mir. Carolina Mir. It took a while. Yeah. I had to do a lot of thinking. I was very nervous. So I come from a background of my mom's a doctor. My dad's a doctor. Nobody does business. Nobody ever has done business. Mm -hmm. I don't have any experience in that field. I just had, you know, um, myself, I had my brains and my skills and I was like, this is all I'm going into this with. So, and by the way, before you get into it, I just want to say like, you've always, since we met, this is a long, long time ago. He always had an entrepreneurial like spirit. Always. He always, I always thought to myself, this guy will run something. If it's not now, it's going to be later. And so here you are, go ahead. To be honest, before this moment, I had never thought about it. I always had dreams of it, but I, I thought you'd have to be some kind of Superman to but like even back with the gym, when you want to start the whole client fitness business, exactly. Yeah. Like you always had that spirit. Like even if it didn't really work pan out. Yeah. Um, I tried certain things. Yeah. Maybe I didn't think of it as a business because I thought of it more as 
getting more involved project. in my passion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This, is what, this is what this podcast is. It's my passion project. So the same thing. Yeah. I'm glad that we both, all these years later, we're, we're sitting here talking about how, you know, we started our passion projects and it's going. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt, interrupt you. No, Go ahead. So um, I quit my job in 2019 and I wanted a backup plan. I was obviously, if... I didn't start my company immediately. I was freelancing and consulting for an entire year. I, I remember was, that. Yeah. I was saving money. I lived like a hermit. I knew the sacrifices that were about to come. Um, when you start your own business, you don't know how much you're going to make, how successful you're going to be. So as I quit my job, Alhamdulillah, like I got some really good gigs. Mm-hmm. I was making two, three times amount of my salary the next day. Mm-hmm. As wow. soon as I quit, I got two, three gigs that were paying me really, really well. And things were going amazing. At the same time, I enrolled in a postgraduate diploma. I said, okay, worst case scenario, if this doesn't pan out, I at least got a master's degree or a diploma. I have something to say that I did during this one year. But I also knew that this situation that I'm in can't last forever. I was literally on top of the world. I was working from home. I set up a home office. Um, I had some really high level clients. Um, So I had to do work for two, three clients that took up a couple of hours a week. The rest of the time I was working out or playing Warzone with you. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. So yeah. it was literal fantasy. I carried him in Warzone, by the way. He did. He's, <laughs> he's amazing at that game. <laughs> Go ahead. But I was in, it was a fantasy. So this year I'm getting a postgraduate degree. Oh, I'm wow. working I out. I did. In one year I got a postgraduate degree. I started a company. I became a health and fitness coach, which has been my passion for years and years now. And I managed to save up enough to like save up and spend because I made quite a bit in that one month. Again, I'm very thankful yeah, yes. to but God yeah, for deserved. giving it up. It's deserved. It's like all these kind of different pathways are starting to converge and come into one, like the fitness, the um, entrepreneurship, all that stuff, you know? Just, but the entrepreneurship didn't start yet. It didn't start. It but didn't I mean, start like, yet. It's entrepreneurship, you don't have to have a company to be an entrepreneur, I think. Like freelancing, I feel like it's a little bit entrepreneurial, right? So It's it's the pathway. Yeah, it's the pathway. So luckily I had a really good year mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, this can't last forever. I need to take this and structure it. I need to build something for yeah. myself. I need, I, I, I don't think at this point living this life, I can ever go back to working for someone. I was so comfortable with my schedule, being in control of my time in control of my work. I could pick and choose who I wanted to work with. I could pick and choose when I wanted to get up, go to meetings. Yeah. You know, so there was so much control in my life that I was like, I cannot go back to someone controlling me now. Yes. So I need to. For much less pay as well. Exactly. So I said, I need to do something on my own. And that's when the actual struggle of an entrepreneur started. So all those freelance contracts that I had, I, I put them away. I told them, guys, I cannot do this anymore because I need, I'm moving on to something else. So I waited till I got my degree because I really wanted to finish my education. That was something that my mom has always wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I would do this for you. I would somehow get past this because education is not something that I'm a fan of. Yeah. Not because I don't believe in education. I strongly believe in it, but I was never good at it. Right. Because mm. remember my experience, I was not good at memorizing things or doing math. And I was always told that I would be a failure. You were more of the creative side, which like was not music, nurtured, which yeah. was not nurtured back then. Yeah. So then I decided to start this company and that's when things got real. And I realized that, OK, now I need to hire people. I need to, you know, I need I have I have to get clients. I have to get employees. I have to pay them salaries. Um and that's when things get, I started seeing things from perspective of the people that I've worked for in the past. And you know how people always say that, oh, I'm smarter than my boss. I can run this company. They don't know what they're doing. And I was like, guys, you do not know the stress 
that someone who is running a company goes through. Like you want to make sure that the clients pay you. Then you got to take that money and pay someone else. It took me six months before I gave myself my first salary. And that was equivalent to what I was making back in 2013. Mm. Those are the sacrifices that I had to make over the last couple of months because I knew that I need to make this company successful. I need to grow it. I need to build something that's going to, you know, this is my future and I may have to sacrifice a lot for the next couple of months. I know that if I invest this time and effort now, if I don't get greedy now, I may be able to build something that supports me for the rest of my life. And so with Carolina Mir, um, the philosophy that I had was that I'm going to, it's not necessarily take whatever I learned over the years and apply that here. But also when, when whatever agencies and companies that I worked with in the past, I also learned what not to do. Yes. So I knew that as an employee, oh, well, no one really taught me this. Nobody gave me the time of day. Nobody was a mentor to me. Um, I said I would take all of that and I would make it the, the type of place that somebody would want to work at. And you so, find joy in that, don't you? Sorry? You find joy in that. I love mentorship. Yeah. I love taking someone under my wing and teaching them things. Yeah. It's something that I've done from way back in 2013. Yeah. I've done it every year of my life. I When I recognize talent, I want to nurture it. And I don't do it like with... It's always selfless. Yeah. That's one of the thing, first things I told you. I was like, Jabber, you are so insanely talented. And I kept pushing you. I was saying, listen you need to explore this videography thing. I know you're a computer program and you can make a lot of money and be very successful, but you've got this, you know, you've never gone to school for this thing. It's just coming out of the pureness of your heart that yeah. you love to do this and you're so good at it. Yeah. And I was like, dude, please explore this. Please do something with it, mm, you know? Because mm. I see that in people. And then why did I come to you for all these internships? I could have found someone that would charge 100 BD and do a great job. Yeah. But I was like, I need to give this guy a chance. I need to give him these opportunities. I need him to see what he can do. Mm. And I'm very grateful for that. And I, I also understand like the feeling because I've been doing videography. I've been learning it since I was 12, 13 when I first got my first ever laptop, right? Yeah. I've been studying that and there are things that I had to learn on my own for a long, long time before I was good. If I look up, I still have my videos. If I look at my videos from 2011 and 12, garbage. Obviously, <laughs> when you start off, it's going to be like that. But I thought it was good. And every video I was improving and improving and improving. And I was getting so happy with the improvement. And I've learned things that nobody taught me on YouTube. I couldn't find these things. I had to learn on my own. And I find great joy when somebody is like a videographer behind and they're asking for tips. I'm like, hey, man, you can just do this. Instead of doing all this work, you know, this whatever method you're doing, you can just do this. I just find joy giving that information. It's not like a magician where I'm like yeah. trying to... There are certain things you're always going to... See, I'll give you an example. We're going to go into the video video game realm for a little bit. Okay. In video games, when like let's say when, you, when you're fighting... Um, when, using, when you're playing a fighting game, okay? Playing a fighting game, you have one character in your screen, like Street Fighter, you have the other character, right? It doesn't feel so fun when you're playing against this person if he has, if he has no idea what your character does. Because if he, if he has no idea what your character does, you're just going to destroy that person, right? If you right. know their character and they don't know yours. So what people do in the, in the fighting game community is they teach each other what their characters do. So then when we fight, I know it's a fair fight that you know what my character does. It, feels the, it makes the win feel better. It's the same thing when it comes to videography or any other thing maybe you'll relate i don't know i don't like if i'm better at someone better than someone at videography and they don't know what they're doing wrong i don't feel as you know accomplished or i've come that far because this guy just didn't find that thing that i learned right yeah but then when you when i teach you all these things and then 
you do your own thing, you have your own touch to the videos, I feel more fulfilled. Because I, I know even if I taught you everything I do, you will still not be able to replicate what I do. Not because I'm that good or whatever. I just have my own style. My own style, you cannot replicate my own style because it's my own touch. I put my soul into this. You will have your own style, which I can't replicate. Right. Yeah. And so I've, mentorship is a nice thing. However, you won't, you don't find... Uh, a lot of people who want your mentorship because there's this mentality in behind where people, everybody thinks they're the best at everything. Yeah. There's a mentality yeah. that they're the best at everything. They also have this, I've seen it in some people that um, they feel like if we raise this person too high, he's going to one day come and replace me. Yeah. And yeah, you know, yes, yes, yes. That is something that I've seen. And I don't, I, I, Dude, it's like Star Wars, you know, like the Sith always knows that the apprentice is going to kill them one day. So <laughs> yeah. it's Good just reference. a circle of life. You can't, you got to nurture talent because this is the future of the country. This is a young mind and you have an opportunity to do something great with your life. It's not just about your position in a seat and how much you're making and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like I would take more joy in like nurturing you. And one day you become someone super successful. And I get to say that, you know, I taught this kid yeah. that, but it's a different mindset. Like, you know, different people come from different backgrounds. We see things differently and some people see things differently, but coming back to Caroline Amir. Yeah. So we started this agency. Um, so, my partner in the company is Carolina. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. What was the naming? How did you come with the name? So she's the creative director. Um, her name is Carolina. My full name is Hamza Farouk Mir. So the two ah, things joined together. Okay. The reason the reason we picked this name is because I really one day want to launch my own clothing line. Um, apparel is something that I'm very passionate about. Mm. And I had this thought one day and I was like, oh, okay. If, if, if my brand was at like Paris fashion week and we had like a silk, silk, oh, we had a silk scarf that yeah. said Carolina. That's a twister. I, I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> silk scarf. Yeah, yeah. Right. If we had, um, a clothing brand that was called Carolina mirror, I was like, oh, that fits right in with like Louis Vuitton and stuff. Right. Mm. It sounds fancy. It does. So, I like the, I like the name. I just didn't know. Now it makes sense. The naming convention. Of so it. I was like, it carries the agency. It carries the clothing line, whatever. Mm we launched sometime in the future. I was like, it's a nice name. It's got a ring to it. It makes people very curious. Yes. So that's how the company started. It, we both worked at Miracle back in the day. So it was me and her. And then I hired another person to be the content manager. We were only three people. And so I hated doing sales in my previous jobs. Like I told everyone I cannot do cold calls. I just felt very uncomfortable doing that. I always said that if you set up a meeting for me, I will charm the client out of his mind. Like I will go there and have those conversations and I'll convince them to work with us, but I cannot do these cold calls. I cannot pick someone up because, and I tried it once. And as soon as I called someone, I said, I'm calling from this agency. We do social media. And they're like, no, thanks. And they shut the phone on me. And I was like, I'm not going through this because when someone meets me in person, they get pulled into my conversations. I'm able to convince them that I'm the right person that mm. you need to work with, but that doesn't happen over the telephone. And I feel very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I said that, you know, when we start Caroline Amir, we are going to be a luxury agency. We are brand new. We have zero clients, but I'm putting in this policy from the very start that we will pick and choose our clients. We will invite people to work with us because I see myself as your business partner. I am not a supplier. You cannot come up to me and say, hey, I have some money. Give me a quotation and do this job for me because I've seen clients abuse agencies because they're paying you. They see you as suppliers. They feel like it's okay to call you at 3 a.m. in the morning or call you up on a Friday, ask you to work all night because, hey, I'm paying you. You're the supplier. You got to do it. I always say that we are business partners. We work on things together. We help grow your business. And in return, you pay us to do that job. So I'm not somebody's slave and neither will someone who works for me. Like I said, I need to create an environment where my employees feel appreciated. And I've never once said that this person works for me. 
Mm. I've always maintained that with me, with me, mm. this person works with me. There, I don't believe in being some kind of superior. Hierarchy. Exactly. Yeah. I want everyone to feel like they're valuable at this company. So when we started the company, simply based off recommendations, people just went around and my first few clients, every single one of them came through the gym. Cause at the time I was coaching at CrossFit Dillman mm. and people would come up to me and be like, what do you do? And I would say, I, well, I do some marketing. I've worked in all these agencies. I'm trying to set up my own company. And then people would recommend me to other people. They said, Hey, this guy's pretty turned on and he's looking for some work. And alhamdulillah, like my first few clients all came from the gym mm. and big names, by the way, like I'm very proud to say that at this time, Carolina Mir in like less than six months was the official creative agency for Gosh Arabia, which mm, is a makeup that. and cosmetics brand from Copenhagen. And we manage them in Bahrain, Saudi, Dubai, and Oman. We do Deborah Milano. We do Awaler, which is going to be probably the biggest e-commerce platform for makeup and cosmetics. Uh, we've done so many different brands in the region, outside the region. We did this only in a couple of months and everything was based on referral. I just told my team, let's do amazing work. Let's not be driven by sales. Let's be driven by the passion and love for creativity. Let's pick and choose our clients and do our best on every single project. And as each project came out, more and more people started taking interest. And I never had to make a cold call since I started this company. People would call me and be like, we want to work with you. We want to work, work with speaks you. for itself. The work speaks for itself. And it came to the point where we had so many people calling us, but we were such a small team that I had to start a waiting list. I actually oh told people that, um, yeah, we're taking in our next batch of clients in October. So you need to wait three months if you want to work with us. And although it was an amazing feeling, I didn't want to take those clients on at the time because um, as a startup, you need you need money, you need cash flow. How many employees do you have? So I'm getting there. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to rush the spoilers. <laughs> so I'll tell you a story that yeah. I used to love watching Shark Tank. And at Shark Tank, they had, um, I guess his name was Desmond or Damon. Damon. One it of was, the sharks? Yeah, one of the sharks. So it was Mark Cuban. It was Damon. Okay. I, I remember because he's the guy who started FUBU. Okay. Okay. And his story was that when he first wanted to become an entrepreneur, he had some belts, like just belts for, you know, pants. Yeah. That he, this is how he started his entrepreneurial career, that he went door to door knocking on doors and he was just like, do you want to buy a belt? Do you want to buy a belt? Do you want to buy a belt? And who would have thought that by selling belts, making some money, investing them into something else, he one day started the company FUBU. And then went on to start several other companies. But that was his story. Wow. And this is something that I did. There were all these brands that I loved and wanted to work with. And I started DMing them on Instagram saying, hey, we're a new creative agency. We did a lot of work just for ourselves Because if people came to our Instagram page and we didn't have any clients, what would they see? Mm. So I said, let's just create art. Let's create what we're passionate about. So we put up a lot of work on our page. But it was, it was either older work or it was stuff that we did for ourselves. And so I started DMing clients. Um, and just messaging them saying, Hey, we love your brand and we're a new agency. How about you give us some work? I'm not going to charge you. I'll do it for free. I just wanted you to see what we're all about. And one of the people that I messaged was local BH. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. So I messaged local BH. It was when they hit 50,000 followers on Instagram. And I said, Hey, congrats on 50,000 followers. I've been a huge fan, been following since day one. I run this creative agency and I'd love to like sort of help you rebrand or, you know, I'd like to do some work for you. Um, let me know if we can talk. And they were one of the only people that got back to me and said, hey, actually, we've been looking for someone to rebrand our logo and all of that stuff. Let's get on a call. So I met with the team at local. We started discussing a few things. Um, by the time we had the first meeting itself, I went back to my team and I said, guys, 
we need to blow them away. When I have my next meeting with them, their new logo and branding should already be done. We're going to go into them to discuss what we can do, but we're already going to do it. Mm. That, that, that was like, I, I love to have this surprise and shock factor. And so I showed them the first draft. They really liked it. Obviously, we, we went through several drafts. We made changes, but they saw the proactivity that these guys just wanted to have a conversation. But no, they've done the work. We could have said no. This meeting mm. could have never happened. Yeah. But we showed up with everything done start to finish. Mm. And over the process of working on this rebranding, um, the guys at Local Sad and Ali, really, really nice guys. Um, they said, hey, where do you work from? And I said, I work from home. And they're like, why don't you come sit with us in the office? Like if you feel like that, you know, you want to get out, you want to change an environment. So I started going to the office. I started sitting with Saad and Ali. Uh, we started having conversations. We became friends. And then, you know, at this point, I was just some guy who was sitting in their office. And But I had a lot of clients. Like mm. I had a very small agency, but we had some big name clients. And so I started connecting local with some of my clients and asked Ali to come on some of the meetings with me. And so... Ali met with some of my clients like Dynamic Fitness. He met with Nutrifix. And one day we were sitting um, in the office and he looks at me and he's like, how often do you see your clients? Like whenever I ask you where you are, you're like, I'm going to meet this person. I'm going to meet this person. And I told him, I, you know, I really, really, I'm invested in my clients. They're not just people who pay me uh, some kind of money to do their social media. I care about their business. I know their fa financial situation. I know how much they're making, if they're breaking even what they need to do in order to become bigger. I know their business objectives. Everything that I put into my agency's work is done strategically and tactically to help my clients grow their business. Mm. I've built a personal relationship with every single one of them and we go above and beyond no matter what you're paying, whether you're paying us 5,000 BD or 500 BD, you will see the same quality and effort for each and every client. And so Ali started meeting my clients and they started saying these things to him in person. And he's like, okay, he wasn't kidding. Like his clients really do love him and they really appreciate the work he does. And he told me that he's met with a lot of agencies. He's had, had a lot of meetings. And if you if you're in the industry in Bahrain, you would see that clients have a high turnover of agencies. Like you'd have one agency for six months and then another for yeah. six months and you'd have one for a year. But they're it's like, like coffee shops and exactly. <laughs> but he's like, these guys really want to stay with you. Like they consider you like part of their business. They can't imagine their business without you. And so one day, um, Saad and Ali asked me to lunch and they said, we want to have a conversation with you. One thing left, led to another. We had a few meetings. We had a few conversations. We discussed things. And I think this is the first time I'm saying this in public and it's being announced on your podcast. Hey, let's go. Yeah. So... Local BH um, decided to acquire a stake in Carolina Mir. Uh, they said, you know what? We've always wanted a creative agency. We've wanted to move into the digital space. You have all the skills. You have the talent. You have the team. We have the resources. Let's make this happen. And so we joined hands. We merged companies. And so that led to Carolina Mir basically exploding overnight. We doubled our clients. We Congratulations, went, by the way. Thank you. I mean, it, it's, it's surreal that it all started with a DM. Yeah. It all started with a DM and me offering to do free work, mm. you know, and now we went from a team of four at that time we had four to a team of maybe 15. Now we oh, have wow. 15 people. Nice. We went from like three or four clients to 10 clients. And I mean, they're great guys. They've run a lot of businesses. Local isn't their only business. They've got a bunch of businesses. They're very experienced. It's a great learning experience. I've met so many people, so many doors have been opened up. And this is when things get real because we sat down and we discussed what we need to do over the next 18 months to be successful, who we need to target, how much we need to make, who we need to hire, what happens if we lose this. 
So many things about a business that I never considered that I learned from them. But again, my dream of creating an agency and making it, I mean, it just started happening overnight and it was so surreal. And why did this happen? Because we were a very small agency. We had a very few clients. It's not like we were minting money or anything. We were always breaking even and we were always in a profit, but there's a million other agencies you could have partnered with. And they're like, no, we want to invest in you as a person mm. because we see that potential. And so I stuck to my guns all these months. I sacrificed. I said, no, you know what? We're not going to sell out. We're going to do the work that we love. We're going to keep our clients happy. We're going to maintain a high quality of work. And people are going to pick up on that. Sooner or later, someone's going to notice that. And someone did. And like, I'm very grateful because I don't think this is something that I've done. This was destiny. I was put in the right position at the right time. You can't always take credit for everything. Yeah, you know, you're smart and you're skillful and you're experienced, but it, it, it's not because of that. It didn't happen because of that. I was at the right place at the right time. And, you know... That that's like when did this happen? By the way, when did the uh, officially did they acquire? A couple stake? of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago. A couple so of weeks recent. ago. So very recent. We we were talking about it for a, for a while, then we agreed on it. The other day, I just signed for the first time in my life. I signed the lease to my first office. Uh, we're moving in in a couple of days. So and in, in the same office as local BH. Yeah. So we're because we're sister companies now. Yeah. Um, we have a really big space in Seif, but we have our. I have my own office there. Hey, which is which is super CEO cool. CEO vibes. Now you're that <laughs> guy from ARG. <laughs> <laughs> right? Full, full circle. Full circle. Yeah. But that's just one thing that, you know, I until this happened, I had I was so anxious. I was so nervous. There were days where I would go without I would go 24 hours without eating. I wouldn't sleep till four or five yeah, in the morning. I All I would think about is where's the next client coming from? Where's the next paycheck coming yeah. from? I'm working very hard, but how long is it gonna take for this to grow? And this even very successful entrepreneurs have these same thoughts and same feelings. That's why it's very important to have someone to talk to. And I didn't have anyone to talk to. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anyone. I was so cut off from the rest of the world that I kept burying myself in my own thoughts. And that's one of the great things of this partnership that now that there's, I can speak to Carol when I want to speak about something emotional, but if I have to talk about something business or something, I'm sad and Ali are not just business partners. They're like my brothers and my best friends and mm. having someone there to guide you and mentor you, but also have, you know, be able to talk to you about, you know, when you have, you just need to talk to someone. Yeah. Um, so a lot of things have changed. A lot of good things have happened. Um, I truly believe that with this partnership, we are going to be the biggest digital media company in Bahrain. Um, not just Bahrain, in the GCC, we offer branding, design, media buying, video production. A lot of agencies will have like a small team and do a few things and then they outsource everything. We do everything in-house. In fact, our new office is even going to have a studio in it. Mm. And I truly believe that we have the potential to be the largest digital media agency in the region. And I say this, I say this out loud because I want it, not only do I want it to come true, I believe that it will come true. Yeah, and I mean, you have to dream big, you know, like... Um yeah, no, I mean, that's good. That's good that you're doing that. I'm, I was going to ask you also if you, I don't know if you have anything else you want to finish that off with, but I was going to ask you, like, what about your personal life routine? Like, how do you fit in, you know, being founder, CEO, also fitness, um, yeah. food? Because he was supposed to be here last week for this episode. Yeah. Um, but he, he was very busy. That um, was the week of the signing. That was the week of the signing. I didn't want to say anything, but <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So how do you balance that? You know, how do you have that work-life balance? So what is your routine like? Look, here's there's a few things like when I start talking about 
fitness and my passion for fitness and my passion for being an entrepreneur, it turns into somewhat of a Rocky monologue. But these are mm. things that I repeat to myself. Yeah. <laughs> these are things that I repeat to myself every single morning. Now, before I started Carolina Mir, I had that one year, which was quite comfortable for me. I would wake up at 11, 12. I had my own routine. I would go work out when I wanted. I'd, I would work when I wanted. I would have the freedom to eat whatever I wanted because I was always home. So meals were always prepared. I never had to order out or, you know, I would just yeah. walk down to the fridge and do whatever I wanted. Now, I find myself having way too much work. There's not enough hours in the day to do this much work. I went from mm. four clients to 10 clients in one night. I have a much bigger team to manage now. And I found myself staying late at the office. I still haven't quit coaching. I still coach. Mm. So there was a couple of months where fitness started falling back and I stopped working out or I would hardly work out or my workouts were not enjoyable. I started hating it because it's like another checklist or, you know, I was just always have. exhausted and I never enjoyed working out. It just felt so stressful to me. And I sat down one day and I was like, I love this. Mm. I loved it with every fiber of my being. I mean, for those of you who don't know, I was very, very obese. I was overweight. I was obese buddies. Obese <laughs> buddies. I, I was a fat kid my entire life. Yeah, this happened a couple of years ago. And, you know, after I dropped the weight and all of that, I fell in love with fitness and it was just something that I felt so free and I felt so driven when I did it. it. It stopped being about the looks and how you look and how big your muscles are. But it was a gateway to like clearing your thoughts. Yeah, um, it's very letting, therapeutic. It's very therapeutic, yeah, emotionally, physically, all of that stuff. So I was like, I used to love this and I need to find a way to love it again. And if I'm so exhausted when I go to the gym at 8 p.m. at night, because I've when you do a lot of work, if you're mentally exhausted, you feel physically exhausted, you know? And they're all connected. I yeah. started, I said, okay, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to switch up my routine. I'm going to do something that I've never done before. And what happens now is that I wake up by 6 a.m. I don't have an alarm. Mm. I wake up at 6 a.m. There's no alarm. Body alarm, yeah. Body alarm. I have that too. I wake up at like 8, 8 o'clock usually, yeah, 8 to 8.15. Yeah, so. I work I, from home. That's how I wake up. <laughs> so I wake up at 6. Yeah. Um, I leave the blinds open. So I don't care if the sun comes in. It's only on the weekends that I close the blinds. 6 a.m. Sun comes in. I'm good to go. Mm. I, I'm at the gym by 6.30. I get on the spin bike for like 30 to 40 minutes, sometimes an hour. In that one hour. Yeah. In that one hour, I'm thinking about my day. I'm thinking about yeah. what I want to achieve, what I need to do, who I need to speak to, what clients I need to get in touch with. I'm, I'm just planning and processing, but I'm also hyping myself up. And after I do my hour of cardio... I'll go lift weights for 30, 40 minutes. I actually enjoy doing cardio more than I enjoy lifting weights at the moment. Opposite for me. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get to that point when you're my age. Well, because I've been doing cardio all my life. That's how I lost most of my weight. Right. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, go so ahead. When, when, whenever I'm doing the cardio and it starts getting boring or it gets difficult or my legs start hurting. And I imagine someone asking me, why do you put yourself through this? Why do you wake up at six in the morning, train for two, three hours, go to the office, come back in the middle of the night then you coach. So I, my day starts at six, it ends at nine. So I, I go to the gym, I train, I go to the office, I come back home, I change, I go and coach, I come back home, I eat dinner, I'll play Call of Duty for an hour and I'll go to sleep. So I always imagine someone asking me, dude, why do you put yourself through this? You don't need to go to the gym in the morning. You don't need to coach. You don't need to do all these extra things. You can just go to work and back. Mm. And I start thinking like, why do I do this? And it comes to me like when I'm in the gym and I wanted to get back to the gym, I wanted to fall in love with the process again. I wanted to fall in love 
with how working out made me feel because I was hating it and I wanted to change that. So I said I would go in the morning when I'm fresh, when I've done nothing and I can't be brought down because I haven't been physically or I haven't been mentally exhausted by work. I haven't come home at 8 or 9 p.m. and then it's time for working out. I'm going to do it first thing in the morning when I'm good to go. And so I think to myself when someone asks me, why do you put yourself through this? Why do you wake up so early in the morning and then go work for 10, 12 hours and then go coach? And, and this was my reasoning because it helps me unleash my thoughts. And I was like, it's not just a fight in here. It's a fight out there. And when I'm putting in the work in the gym, when I'm working hard, when I'm on that bike for an hour, when I'm going through this pain and suffering, it tells me that whatever obstacles life throws at me outside, I have the mental capacity, I have the physical capacity to deal with it. Because internally, I have this deep burning desire to be great. And I don't mean this in a narcissistic way. I want to make something of my life. Mm. And I'm willing to bleed from my eyes and ears to make that happen. I'm willing to put in the work. And I feel like the gym is a place that really taught me that discipline yes. to, to, to have a goal and work for it and achieve it. And that's helped me apply that to the, to my real life. So I can go through this physical pain and suffering and I can apply that in the real world so that when I go to work and I have to work 12 to 14 hours, when I have to stay late nights, when I have to do what I need to do to make Carolina Mira success, I know that I have the physical and mental capacity. I have the mindset to make it happen. And people can kind of come up to me and say like, dude, you sound obsessed. And I, I would just say, no, I sound passionate because you don't know what it's like to really want something. Like I don't I, think people realize how much, how much facts you're spitting right now. Like no, no, gym, and I'll yeah. tell you why. And I'll tell you yeah. why. And I always end this imaginary conversation with, I don't expect you to understand yeah. because not everyone thinks this way. A lot of people are comfortable in the way that they live their lives. They're I want to be complacent. Yeah, they're complacent. Yeah. I'm okay with being uncomfortable. I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable. I know that what I'm doing right now will serve me better in the future. And I want to be this person. I want to build an empire. I know the kind of sacrifices that these things need. And if you don't want to make them, that's fine. Nobody's judging you. If you want to work a nine to five, you don't want to go to the gym and you're happy. If you're happy, that's then nothing matters. needs to change. That's what matters. Mm. But I'm driven and I need to achieve things in my life. And so if I need to wake up at 6 a.m. and you know, get my workout in and that sort of motivates me and drives me and makes me happy so that I can go to the office and work my butt, butt off. off. I'm not going to yeah. curse. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> work my butt off to make Carolina success and then come back in the middle of the night and coach the late night at CrossFit Delman. It's because I'm passionate about those things. I mean, sleep isn't going to stop me. Hunger isn't going to stop me. I've gone 24 hours without eating. Just yesterday, we woke up at 4 a.m. to do a video shoot and we finished the video shoot and the editing by 6 or 7 p.m. Editing as well? Yeah, we edited on the same day. That's crazy. Seven yeah. hours done. So I was up at four. <laughs> I was finished at seven. Yeah. At this point, I've had one meal. Mm -hmm. Okay. One meal at 10 a.m., which was eggs and toast. And I've gone till seven without eating anything. Yeah, at seven, I come home. Mm -hmm. I have dinner. And by 7.30, I'm at CrossFit Delman and I'm coaching. And then I come home by nine. I'm in bed by 10. And I'm back in the gym at 6 a.m. And I'm coaching another class at 8.30 a.m. And I'm in the office by 10. Just make sure to eat, huh? <laughs> yeah. You it's know, important. And, but you know, yeah. that's just it. This is who I am. I'm driven. I'm passionate. I'm not trying to gloat or anything, but I'm just trying to tell people that if you want something, 
you can have it. Yes. But you have to be ready to be uncomfortable. Of course. You know, it's not easy. It's not an easy journey being an entrepreneur. I don't come from a background where, you know, I have an oil well that funds anything or everything that I have. Mm-hmm. I have to do these things by myself. I have to dig into my savings. I have to be very careful with where I spend my money, you know? Um I don't come from a pri- privileged background or anything of that sort. Like I I'm very grateful to my parents for giving me this amazing life. They've sacrificed and they've worked very hard to make sure that we had no shortcomings or we didn't feel like we were missing out on anything growing up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and right now I would have a very comfortable life. I had a very good career. I made a decent amount of money. I feel like I brought a motivational speaker today. <laughs> this is good. This is good. Now people need to hear this, yeah. But I I wanted to do something more. Yeah. I wanted to contribute. And it's not just for myself. I'm 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 not selfish. Yes, I want to be successful. I want more things for myself. But I one day want to go home and you know tell my mom that you need to quit your job because I'm yeah. building you a clinic. You know, yeah, I yeah, want yeah. that that's something that I dream it's of. A dream. It's, it's a dream. It's a dream. You know, mm. I want to be able to have a nice house and I want to be able to give a good life to my kids. I want to be able to like I want to do something that motivates people to change their lives. Like I want to give back to this world. Like yes. I don't want it all for myself. Yeah. I want to be that inspirational ha- person. Leave an impact. I want to have an impact. Mm. And like a lot of that fitness, why I love fitness, you know, like there's so many, I think when we started having these conversations, like I may have had an impact on you when I said something and that motivated you to continue working out, mm. to eating healthier. I remember you used to always ask me about your diet and I used yeah. to give you advice. You used to ask me about workouts. When I'm at CrossFit Delman, um, like someone comes in for a trial class and then at the end of the class, they sign up and they'd be like, coach, we really enjoyed this class. And I feel very safe and secure when you're coaching. So I feel like you can help me turn things around. You know, that that is crazy that, you know, you've had an impact on that person's life. You've convinced him to turn things around. He may have been someone very unhealthy. He may have been someone who always smoked and he needed that one push. Yeah. Just needed to be like, he came to my class and I just did what I do. I didn't give him any specific attention. I was just being me. Mm. And this person's like, you know what? I think I'm going to sign up. I think I'm going to turn things around. I think I'm going to be healthy. I think I want to be like you, you mm. know, that's crazy to me that you can have that kind of an impact on someone to turn their life around. And I, more people need to experience this feeling. It may be through your art that moves people. It may be through the way that you write. But more people need to be open to receive that as well. That, uh, you know, like that. Yeah, a lot of people are not open to hearing they're that. They're not. They're, that's, that's one thing that's. Um, but that's the difference. Mm. Why did I pick you? Why did I pick you? And I always, I did do this with my clients at Carolina Mir. I did this when I was a personal trainer. I said, I would never approach someone and try to convince them to train with me. If I, even if I knew I could do something great for them. That person needs to have that deep burning desire to want to change. We need to meet halfway. Yeah, yeah. If I see that you're trying, but you don't know what you're doing, and I come up to you and give you that advice, and you appreciate it, and we start working together, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But if you're you're comfortable doing your own thing, and I keep coming and tell you you're doing that wrong, and you should do it this way, and blah blah blah, you should be an entrepreneur. Like, there's nothing wrong with having a job. Yeah. Nine to five. Like my parents are doctors; they work jobs, and Mm. you know they love what they do. All well and good. You know, yeah. different people have different mindsets. I'm someone who's very restless. I guess my thoughts run wild. I need to put that somewhere. Need to chase them. <laughs> you need to chase them. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think I've gone on for a while. I'd like to. No, I was, yeah, <laughs> no, this is, uh, this is exactly why I have people on, you know, I want you to talk and I'm listening. I grow. This is like a two way conversation. It's not just me. I don't want it to be like me just interviewing people. Right. It's, it's more that. I'm giving my thoughts 
and when it comes to a certain field like marketing agencies and things like that, which I don't have much expertise on, I would like to listen mm-hmm. in a different episode where I want to talk about things that I know, like I want to talk and listen at the same time more. Right. So it's one of these things where, where I'm just beginning to understand entrepreneurship because I'm not really an entrepreneur. Like this is, as a, it's a passion project for me, but I do get that sense because all I'm doing these days, either I'm working at my job, um, working out or I'm working on the podcast for the past year. Like this podcast didn't just come out of nowhere. I've been planning it for a year now. I've been slowly, the money I make from, from work, I invest in Fiverr to get like people who design my logo. I would get people who make me a soundtrack. I would invest in these mics and these chairs and these tables, right? All these, it's like a slow, but sure process that I'm doing. So I'm, I'm getting that sense. It's not as crazy as your routine, but I understand that. Right? I never thought in my life that you, I have this imaginary conversation. I repeat the same monologue to myself every single morning on the bike. I never thought I would say it out loud to anyone. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you know, you, it, it's like when you have that, when you're in the shower and you're having these imaginary thoughts, conversations, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you're never going to be in a situation where you're going to say it out loud. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, it, I actually said it yeah, somewhere. Yeah. So... So, it felt good to actually say that, you know, it's like, good. yeah, I mean, like, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm really happy that, that you found that I was, there was going to be one segment where I crap on some marketing agencies in Bahrain, the specific ones without naming them, obviously, but I feel like there's so much positivity. I don't want to bring that negativity now. Maybe uh, next time. Yeah. Maybe next time. <laughs> next time. I think, I think we're going upward and let's not. Yeah. 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 Not. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, cause there, I do, I do want to rant sometimes. Right. This is like. I want people to be comfortable to talk about whatever they want to talk when they're here. So I make a few exceptions like, you know, like politics and things like that. We can't get into obviously, but, um, yeah, no, like this, I, I also like really relate to you when it comes to working out. Um, when you talk about discipline that you get from, from working out, cause for me, it's very cathartic and therapeutic. It releases my stress and my emotions. Like I find, I find this one place where I can let everything out and just work out. It's just me and myself. I don't like having a gym partner with me. I don't want to have anybody rushing me like, Oh man, you're resting for too long or you're resting for just a little bit. I don't want people. It's just me, which sometimes can be a pain in the butt because I do a lot of drop sets. So I have to move the weights a lot, but I mean, I'm willing to take that sac- sacrifice. I'd like just being me and myself. That's why when I talk to a lot of people, when people send me messages on WhatsApp, they, they are facing some issue or whatever. I usually don't respond until like if they want my like serious opinion on something i usually don't respond on, until after the gym like right after like i'm panting i'm like breathing hard and i'm, I'm sending the voice voice note because and i tell them beforehand like don't think that i'm sending you this because i don't care like oh i just worked out i'm just gonna send this to you i'm doing this because when i when i'm at the gym i thought about your your problem my thoughts are clear when I'm at the gym. Nothing else is in my head. If I want to think about your situation that you approach me with, I think about it during the gym and I organize my thoughts as I'm working out. It's giving me motivation. I can do that. So that's why I send people voice notes or call them after the gym and tell them, okay, this is what I think about your situation. This is what my advice would be and my tip would be. And I would, I would usually be very more articulate, even though I'm panting, I would be more articulate. My thoughts are more organized. They're not a mess. So like there's a certain beauty about the gym. Um, when you start, it's going to garbage first month, second month. But once you get that routine in, once it teaches you, it teaches you that discipline, once you become comfortable being uncomfortable, because to make progress at the gym, you really have to like literally by the literal sense, you really have to be uncomfortable to then become comfortable. What I mean is your muscles don't grow if you don't get progressive overload, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to every week, 
I have to go for another uncomfortable weight or uncomfortable rep, amount of reps for me to start growing. If I'm if I'm complacent with the same weight, same routine, I'm not going to grow. So it literally teaches you to, to start. The more effort, the, the more you go outside of your comfort zone, the more you're going to grow. That's, that's also applicable to other things. That's why I feel like the gym helped us both because we transferred that discipline, that mentality outside of the gym when it comes to, like for me with... With, with this podcast, maybe nobody's going to care about the first 100 episodes. Like, nobody cared about Joe Rogan's. And Abdullah told me this from Khush Fakras. Shout out to him. Nobody cared about um, the first 100 or 200 episodes about Joe Rogan. If you look at a setup, it's very dank, old setup, right? But then he didn't give up. He was disciplined. I'm going to release this podcast every week. And this is what I want to do. And eventually it will stick. You just have to remember to stay disciplined. And that to not half butt, I don't want to say the other word, half butt things, right? <laughs> I'm chained by this, um, non, non, I mean, censorship, but yeah, I mean, so I'm really happy that, you know, you, you went on this route I relate to, and I hope other pe- people that will relate to it. And if they don't give it a shot, you know, go work out, stick with it for two months. I, I hated the first month. I was a fat person, very obese. I hated it, man. It, it sucked. I couldn't walk for like, you can ask my brother. We used to walk before even I went to the gym. We used to walk just a little bit, like one kilometer. And I'd be like, I'm dead. I can't walk back. You have to get a car and get me up or something. I can't move. Like I would like pant. I would like cry. I can't do this. Now I like run all around the neighborhood, like doing laps. You know, I never expected you to be that guy. Um, and so when the first month is going to suck. Second month is going to suck. Third month is what I started. Like, oh, this is a routine I like. That to the point where if I missed one day, I would feel like something is wrong because it does take a certain amount of time. There's a book that talks about it called Atomic Habits. It takes like on the physical and biological sense, it does take a, a certain amount of time for your brain to actually rewire and build this habit. Because it's something like, for instance, let's say you have a dilemma. You have to go to the gym at eight, which, which I usually go at eight, but just an example. And then one day you want to go at eight and this is after you build the habit and then you get a call. Hey, you want to hang out and, you know, watch movies and, and eat popcorn or whatever. Now your brain, you're, you're giving this brain, your, your brain, these two choices. Your brain is going to think seriously about or take into account seriously what you choose. If I choose the gym, I'm telling my brain, this is more important. So next time it happens, it becomes easier for me to deflect it. Mm-hmm. Right? But at the beginning, it's going to suck. If it I, is true. If, yeah. So if I choose the popcorn, then my brain's like, okay, this is more important. So next time I feel like I can leave the, leave the, the gym again. I can go again. And in video games, I don't I'll, know if you ever played. I'll tell you a really yeah, fun, go ahead. Uh, very relatable story. Mm. So when I first wanted to lose weight, so I was obviously overweight mm-hmm. um, when I was younger. And um, obviously, if if you know anything about how the brain develops, we become more mature and rational after we're 25. After yes. you're 25, your brain Fully only develops. It start, no, it starts to develop when you're 25. Really? Your prefrontal cortex starts developing at the age of 25. I didn't know Which that. is why they always say that Males especially shouldn't take any um, large life decisions before that because they're not 100% thinking with their brains. Mm. Um, Before you're 25, before your prefrontal cortex fully develops, um, you're thinking largely emotionally. Even though you think I'm a very mature person and I'm more mature than my friends, that part of your brain just isn't active. So you may be more mature in comparison to someone, but emotions do largely sway the way that you think. And I, I noticed this personally myself, like when I, when I was like 27, 28, every situation that I was in, I was able to look at objectively and rationally and think that this is what I need to do. This is that I, I would look at a scenario from, you know, I would look at a 
whatever it was from every scenario and I would be able to take the right decision. But I remember when I was younger, everything was, you know, um, you'd feel so emotionally invested in some things. If someone didn't call you back or text you back, you would feel betrayed or, you know, um, you would feel rejected. Or if mm. your friends would make fun of you, it would affect you in a way that you would go home and feel really bad about yourself. Right now, if someone comes and tries to make fun of me and calls me names or whatever, you know, it doesn't affect me. I don't even, it, it's not even to the point where I reply. Like someone could come I up to me. I feel pity for that person, actually. They're I don't feel anything. They're projecting. I don't feel anything because yeah. someone could come and insult me. They could make fun of my hair, the way I look, my company. Mm. And I don't, I was like, this isn't doing anything to me. And if I say something back to you, like, I'm stooping uh, down to your level. I'm just not bothered. Like, yeah. it, I'm confident in who I am to for it to not affect me. Mm. Like, it, it just doesn't make a difference to me. So I'm hard-headed enough. My, my, my screws are all on tight that I, I can't be made fun of. I make fun of myself. I laugh with people I, for a joke, mm. but I don't take offense to anything. Like, you know, it just doesn't affect me in that sort of a way. Unfazed. Unfazed, yeah. Mm. But if you go back to when I was 18 and I wanted to lose weight, it was difficult because... When I started working out as someone who was overweight, everyone's making fun of you for trying to lose weight. So you make fun of me for being fat, mm. but then you make fun of me for trying to lose the fat. Yeah. Right? You can and never please. Yeah. You, you can never please everyone. And so I was trying to put in the work. So I was dieting. So I would go out with friends and they would make fun of me for wanting to eat a salad. And I'm a kid at this point. Okay. I'm, I consider 18 year olds kids. I'm, sh I'm sorry. Every 18 year old that thinks they're an adult. You're not. Okay. Um, life is going to come and slap you in the face. Yes. But. Hopefully sooner than later. Hopefully you. sooner than later. Yeah. But I'm a kid at this point and I go out with my friends and they make fun of me for eating a salad. They make me feel bad for the food that I'm eating. Mm. Um, people call me and they say, hey, we're going out. And I said, I have to go to the gym. And they, you know, they they would make me feel bad for not coming. They would tell me the next day, it was so much fun. We did this and this, this, and it would hurt. Yeah. Because you feel again, like you're missing out. You Yeah. FOMO. Yeah. And you're so emotionally driven. And I was like, I really want this. But I really want that. And it, it was so tough for me. But in the end, this is why I love fitness. I learned, I wanted something so bad. I did not want to be the fat kid anymore. I did not want to be made fun of. I did mm. not want to be rejected. I wanted to be something else. Mm. And I started, I became so driven that at one point I became unfazed by what things were. I just cut off from people. I said, you know what? I can't be around this kind of energy because it keeps making me feel bad. I'm, I'm a teenager, man. This, this sucks. And I never lost weight at that age. It took me another three, four years because, you know, people go back and forth, back yeah. and forth, back and forth. When I was 21, I finally lost the weight. But again, uh, at 21, you're still very emotional. Like, you know, you're driven by the wrong um, things. The reason I was working out was not the reason anyone should be working out. Mm. But at the end of the day, I became very driven. I had a goal and I sacrificed to get that goal. Like, and then the same people who made fun of me, you know, when I showed up months later, looking like a different person till date, it's been like years. How did you do it? Mm. How do you look like this? What do you do? Like at first they'll make fun of you. Then they'll admire, admire you that there's levels. So you get made fun of, then they try to bring you down when you're showing some kind of progress. Then they'll ask you how you did it. And then eventually they'll start calling you names like obsessed. Mm. So it, there's no pleasing, you know, like I was just like, you know what? Like, it doesn't matter to me anymore. Like, I was going to say also, um, this is a little bit petty, but you know, the same kids that used to make fun of me, um, in high school or school in general, um, I still have a little bit, a few of them followed on Instagram, whatever. I should low key check up on them and then they're, they're now, not doing well. They're not doing well physically. Let's just Every say that. person that bullied me in school. Yeah. is living a horrible life now. Not just... I, I, I mean, in the sense that 
they were larger than life in school mm. because they may have been physically bigger or whatever. They, they peaked were. at high school. They peaked in high school, yeah. <laughs> but they live, they have really bad jobs or they have really bad families or like, yeah. they don't look as good as they used to. And yeah, it, I'm, I mean, it in a strictly physical sense, I don't know anything about their lives, but the, the no, thing but if that, you're, but also mm. in the sense that if you were, there were some people who were genuine bullies, Yes, they, they, they thrived off making other kids feel and weaker. they're getting bullied in there. They're getting bullied, in, bullied. In, yeah. in real life. Yeah. But there were people who would try to like, try to beat me up and beat up my friends. And yeah. you know, they would, they would call themselves thugs. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. They would, they would actually form gangs and they would fight out of school and they bring knives and stuff. And I was like, dude, you work at a cold store now. <laughs> Like someone's going to come and stab yeah. you and rob you now. Yeah. Well, I was going to say like, I check up on them in a sense that they're fat now. Like it's made fun of me for being fat. Now you, you are what you once hated, right? Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't take joy in this. I don't either. Yeah. Right. I don't take joy in this, but this is like a lesson. Right? I, I hope that you take this as a lesson and then learn that, you know, you will... Sometimes what you make fun of people for, it'll hit you back later. There's one thing that I want to talk about. And as humans, we sometimes get carried away, but you need to have a conscience. Mm. Like I keep telling myself and I keep reminding myself before I go to bed, like, dude, don't make fun of some, someone for something that's out of their control. Yes, yes, If yes. someone looks a particular way, don't make fun of them for I it. I never do. You never, know? never, never. And never. sometimes you get carried away. You're mm. human. You're surrounded by people. You know, if you land this joke, everyone's going to like be yeah. really impressed. And it's happened a few times. And when I would drive home, I would feel miserable. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, why did I say this at someone else's expense when they weren't even there? And it was just to make a bunch of people laugh. Yeah. What did I get out of this? Like, I feel so bad. At least, uh, okay, fine. I have a conscious. I feel bad about it. But I still did it in the moment. And I keep, I'm, I'm working on it. Because yeah. I do not want to judge someone for something that is out of their control. Yeah. And you know, it's something that I'm working on. I, I don't do it, mm-hmm. but sometimes it happens. We're only human, but you should be conscious. Like some people are not conscious of this. They will repeatedly do it. It's ingrained in them. And, yeah. and you can try and tell them that don't do this, man. And they'd make, try to make fun of you for saying not to do yeah. it. But I guess that's just they it. They just don't like, know. They're just immature. I mean, I don't make fun of people unless like they're okay with being made fun of. And I only make fun of them in the sense that like they're my friends and I get permission. <laughs> you know what I mean? Bro, but, bros busting chops is yeah, one thing. That's yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that's mutual. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. But if you like, like if, I said, I never get into arguments. I never get into fights. I, I don't think I've, I'll ever get into a physical alteration. I've only told myself that the only time that I will step up and raise my voice or get physical is if I see someone else who's being put down and they don't have the ability, like you can tell that they're feeling bad, yeah. but they don't have the ability to defend themselves. They, mm. they, they, they can't say something back or they can't fight back for themselves. If that person is someone that's close to me, I would step up for them. Like I would be like, you know what? It wouldn't affect me, but it seems like it's affecting this person and you need to back off. That's the only situation where I would sort yeah, of bring of that side of me outside, but good Samaritan. Uh, yeah, yeah. But other than that, I'm, I've never, I've never been in a fight, bro. Like I, I'm not a physically, I've uh, been in fights, but not, <laughs> Um, with my consent, let's just say that okay. I had to defend myself. Yeah, but uh, I'm not confrontational. Like I, yeah. I, I prefer not to, I don't think it's cool to get into a fight. Yeah. Like if it ever happens and it happens, I, I'd 100% be willing to defend myself or someone else or your family yeah. or your family. Yeah. But you know, I'm not someone that wants to go and start something just because. Yeah. Like fighting is ugly. Like we should never fight. Although yeah. I do love the UFC and MMA and I, <laughs> one of my goals is like, 
st- get back into MMA. I did it way back in the day. Mm. I would love to like mix up my training, like besides the weight training. I want to do the Ironman in 2025. Okay. So my goal is Ironman 2025. I want to scale Kilimanjaro. So I want to do the Kilimanjaro K2 Summit. I want to get back into MMA. And so far I've backpacked 20 countries. And, mm. you know, I want to make that, you know, 40 in the next couple of years, 60, 80. Hopefully. Yeah. I want to give you a fun fact. Did you know that Kilimanjaro is the tallest mountain in the world and not Everest? Really? How, how come? So Everest has the highest peak. Okay. Meaning it technically is the tallest. And if you're talking like which one has the highest peak, I feel like I've been away from the mic this whole time. Oh my <laughs> God. I have to edit that. But, but I can um, hear you perfectly fine. So it's, it has the highest peak, but um, Kilimanjaro is the tallest tower, uh, tallest tower, tallest mountain. If you count it from the base of the mountain to the top of the mountain, because um, Everest is on elevated land. Okay. So it starts. It's basically cheating. It starts from an, a higher position land-wise than Kilimanjaro. Does that make sense? I get what you're saying. Yeah. So 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 if you're counting it from the base to the to the tip, Kilimanjaro is taller. But if you're counting it from the peak. Even though this is smaller, it's it's uh, on on elevated land, and mm-hmm. so its peak is higher. Okay. At least that's what I've read. I mean, so if I'm I, I can, if I ever do manage to do that, I can sort of it's yeah, a bigger cloud. But I think the climb to Everest is harder. Perhaps I don't know Probably. much about the prospects of the mountain itself, but maybe we'll do it together. Uh, no way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll die. <laughs> I have a big big fear from heights. I I I hate heights. I don't mind going on like tall buildings and looking down, but you know, there's something called the call of the, maybe we should get to know. Let's, let's see how long we've been talking. You can save it for episode two. Yeah. Episode two. We'll talk about something called the call of the void. Okay. Call of the void is basically, have you ever had a thought where you look, you're at the, um, um, like a tall building, you're looking down and you have that thought like that calls you like what if i jump now like what i have that? that all the time that's called call of the void okay so it's like a suicidal thought but it's not you're not going to act on it but um, you think about it because i've i've been in this situation quite yeah, a few times i just it. look down and be like what would happen if it's I like jumped? when you're driving a car and like what if i like don't break right now when the car like there's a wall in front of me what if so i, just I do through? i do think about that i was like what would happen if i just turned into the yeah, sidewalk it's called, and then i get worried i was like why am i thinking about this it's called call of the void so it's is it normal more, it's normal okay um so, uh, suicidal people have it more often though okay like actual suicidal people but call the voice completely normal there, there is no very uh, i wonder what would happen if i did this but then my brain always tells me like snaps you back yeah yeah i was like i'm not gonna do it yeah yeah, yeah. okay so so basically there hasn't been any scientific explanation for this there is, there are theories the first one is um, I'll make this own, own segment. I think this is cool. But basically, uh, the example of the building, right? Tall building, you're looking down. Your brain is thinking, I should not be on, on this height right now, on this level, because it could be, I could die if I, if I trip or anything, right? So the brain t- t- sends a signal to, uh, I mean, subconsciously, you're sending a signal to yourself to be on the ground, which because the ground on the floor, the street level is the safest place to be. So your brain's thinking, what's the sa- what's the fastest way to get from here to the safest level? It's okay. to jump, right? It's not the safest route though. Yeah, yeah. So so it's, it's not safe. It's like the fastest, sorry. It's the fastest. What's the fastest way to get to the ground is to okay. jump, right? But then your second sub- second round of subconscious, there's instinctual um, survival instinct jumps in. It's like, wait, if I do that, I'm going to I'm going to die. That's that's when you get that. Oh, I should stop. That's when you snap out of it. That that that's that's funny because I googled this a while ago because I have I have a dog at home. You have a dog here as yeah. well. And um, I used to take my dog out for a. I used to leave her up on the roof just to look around. But she, 
the the the, the wall wasn't high enough. Mm-hmm. So I had to Google like, does a dog know if it's gonna die if it jumps off the balcony? Probably, yeah. So they do know. They're like. Um, the way they view things is different. So they don't perceive depth the same way we do. Okay. But apparently they do have the ability to sort of... Instinctually. Instinctual ability. So yeah. they actually can't tell how high they are. So if your dog's a bit autistic, it might jump off. Mm. But generally they 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 have a sense of, I would probably not survive if I jumped off this. Yes. But I always feel like my dog's a bit dumb, so I don't trust her. <laughs> you have a cute dog, though. Oh, yeah. she's cute and fat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she went through surgery, right? And she stuff like she had four surgeries. So, yeah. like, a, a lot of people don't know that she's over overweight because she suffers from thyroid. She's mm. had four surgeries in her life. There's a net inside her stomach that holds all the intestines together. So, it's not been an easy life for her. Mm. So, I, I cut her some slack for being fat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was Call of the Void. So mm-hmm. people are... I'm yeah, going to Google that as soon as I go home, by the way. Sure, sure. But yeah, I guess this is a good time to end it. Thank mm-hmm. you for coming here. If, if, Thank I you mean, for having me. Of course, man. And if you have anything going on and want to let people know, like your Instagram handles for your Carolina Mir or your personal, go ahead, like whatever you have going on. You can speak to me, you can speak to the camera, it doesn't matter. All right, awesome. So um, show some love and support for Carolina Mir. On Instagram, we are underscore Carolina Mir. C-A-R-O-L-I-N-A-M-I-R. Mm-hmm. All right. And um, I'm not very relevant, but if you want to follow me, it's just my name, Hamza Farooq. There's two A's. So it's H-A-M-Z-A-A-F-A-R-O-O-Q. I'll make sure to put you in the, in the description and maybe visually on the video as well. Yeah. If you want daily fitness motivation, if that's your thing. Yeah, every day this guy has a story, in, I mean, Instagram story of him working out, which is good. It's motivational. Exactly. It, it's for motivational purposes only yes well <laughs> this has been this episode i don't know what i'm like i'm gonna title it but this has been fun thank you for coming and awesome thank you until next time all right peace